0: Verses 39 through 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us so?' And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in the favor with God and man.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. Hi, my name is Daniel. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors, and it's my joy to get to bring the word to you tonight. Are you guys doing okay? Yeah, decent? I know Sam always makes fun of me for asking this, but are you doing okay? Are you happy to be here tonight? We... We're worshiping the King, and it, it makes me really happy to be with you guys, to hear your voices down here. There's, there's a lot to be thankful for, so I'm really happy to be with you. I want to make sure, yeah, that's muted. So, um, one of the greatest hindrances in my spiritual growth in recent years is the pride of spiritual comparison. It, it sucks to share that with you, but it's true. It, it, instead of looking to Christ's righteousness as my standard, I find myself looking at the world and even other Christians to determine my level of spiritual maturity. I think, oh, I have what they have. You know, I, I, I'm i better at Bible reading. I, I'm more faithful at prayer, you know, these sort of things. I compare myself. The problem with this thinking is that the Bible has clearly stated that None of us have attained God's standard. All of us have fallen short of, of the glory that he has, has laid out for us. So no one's got this thing right. None of us. So when I look at any of you or anyone else to determine my spiritual picture, uh, maturity, I get a faulty picture that leaves me stagnant in my faith. Can any of you relate to this? Sadly, this is the same kind of thinking that uh, unbelievers you'll hear say. I mean, they'll say, I, I, I'm better than those Christians. You know, and maybe, maybe they are. Maybe you are. Maybe you're, you're far above the average man in your walk with Jesus. But the problem with that is if our standard is different than God's, we have a problem. We have a big problem many many christians including some of us here i hate to say still look like infants in our faith even some of us even after years walking with jesus and i know i know that's not a an easy thing to hear but it's true rather than living as the powerful forces that god has created us to be some of us are still nursing on the basics you know, we we are not where we should be. And I feel this for myself. I'm speaking this about myself. What is it that keeps us from maturing and becoming who Christ has called us to be as the church? What is it that keeps us maturing like we ought to? Among many things, we're going to see in today's text that it's a misunderstanding of our Identity. It's a misunderstanding of our identity. Many of us, you know, we've forgotten. And I'm not saying we, we've totally forgotten, but we've forgotten on a daily basis who made us, where we come from, what we were made for, what this human life is all about. So We've spent a lot of time this Christmas looking at Jesus' birth and the amazing grace and humility given to us in our God taking on human flesh. And, and today we, we just heard this passage which is showing us a picture of Jesus growing and maturing as, as a boy. And it's fitting that we, we have this text right here at the beginning of the year because we're, we're going into a year and we're, we're calling in the month of January for All People's Church to focus on spiritual renewal. You know, through this fast and through, through all the things that we're doing, focusing on the Bible reading plan. And today, my hope is to, to help us see from the text how to reset our hearts, how to reset our hearts so that we can begin to grow like Jesus grew. You see, Jesus had a different standard Jesus wasn't looking to the world for his standard. No, he was looking to his father's perfection. He was seeking to look like him in everything. We're going to see that today. He strove to look like Jesus. I do have, or to look like his father. I do have good news for you today, church. Jesus came and he grew and matured on this earth so that you and I could grow and mature. I want to talk to you today about how Jesus is the forerunner of the new humanity. Here's here's the outline. I'll throw it up there. I want to talk about how Jesus is a forerunner. I'll explain what that word is. How Jesus is the forerunner of the new humanity and that the church is the new humanity. So that's where we're going. Let's jump in. Before we jump in, actually, let's pray uh, one more time. Father, we invite you to speak We've already asked for your presence here, for you to come and be the speaker. But now I ask again, Lord, take my lips, my words that I've prepared, take your holy word and illumine our hearts by your spirit. And God, would you you move us today in a trajectory to become more like Jesus by your spirit? Because we simply look at your life, would you help us to move in the trajectory of Jesus. Come now, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So Jesus is the forerunner. Verse 39, we just read, tells us, let's go ahead and put that back on the screen, and, and you can follow along with me in your Bibles if you have them. Verse 39 tells us that Joseph and Mary performed everything according to the law of the Lord. These details that Luke shares of these early years are not throwaway. They're not throwaway. Luke is trying to show us that Jesus' life fulfilled the law perfectly. That is so important. There's actually very little written about Jesus' childhood. Luke's gospel was actually the most robust. And, And yet, even though we don't talk about Jesus' childhood leading up to his ministry, it is extremely important. I, I cannot overstate the importance of Jesus' life leading up to his ministry. And yet, we don't talk about it. So I'm going there today. It makes sense. We focus a lot on the cross and the resurrection, on Jesus' ministry. That's that's the bulk of what we have written. And, and his cross, his resurrection is the pinnacle of his ministry, is what he came to do But, church, if he didn't come and live a spotless life and fulfill the law, the cross wouldn't have been effective. He had to be the spotless lamb, he had to be a perfect human. Not only does his death appease God's wrath for our sin, Jesus' perfect life is actually counted to everyone who has faith in him so that. God no longer looks at our record of sin, but actually looks to his record and counts it to us. It's crazy good news. He looks at us as if we were the spotless one. Romans 8, which we're going to be memorizing this this month, captures this point. It's up on the screen there. By sending, I'm going to jump down just a a verse. Uh, Nope, you got it. By sending... His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, Jesus came and He fulfilled the law in human flesh so that we could no longer live under the power of sin. We no longer were subject to the law, but so that we can walk by the Spirit of God and not by our flesh any longer. His perfect life mattered. His perfect life mattered. So we're going to focus in there. uh, So verse 40, let's go there together, tells us that the child grew and became strong. Now, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about the humility of Jesus in his birth. I just want to spend another minute here, guys, marveling at the humility of God. Those words, if we sit and look at them, and the child grew and became strong. Our God, who made the universe, subjected, subjected himself to, to the human growth process. He nursed at his mother's breast. He babbled his first words. He, he learned to crawl in the mud on the very earth that he had fashioned. He, he teethed. He, he lost his first tooth. He learned to walk. I'm sure fell, scraped his knee. He learned in school how to, how to speak Hebrew so he could learn the scriptures. Greek and Aramaic so he could just operate in, the, in that society. He learned what it was like to go through puberty <laughs> and all the fun that that entails. He, he experienced pain. He experienced maybe finger pain when he smashed his finger with a hammer. He worked until he was exhausted with his father. No, Jesus was not some guy, in the, as you see in the, the paintings with a halo over his head and a funny sign on his hand. No, Jesus was fully man. And he grew Just like the rest of us grow. Just like we get to watch the little ones in our midst grow up. What an awesome God. What a a humble God who would subject himself to that. Love God's word. We can see gold in little lines like that. He grew and, and was strong. Luke tells us that Jesus was like every other boy, but two things set him apart. We can see that he was, right at the end there, he was filled with wisdom. Jesus was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. You're going to see right at the end of our, our text in verse 52 that Luke finishes the, the story with similar uh, description. He says that Jesus grew in, he, he increased in Wisdom and in favor with God and man. When you see words repeated by an author, you need to pay attention. Listen up. He's trying to focus us. He wants us to focus in on this wisdom and this favor. So I just want to I want to spend a moment here looking at what wisdom is and what favor is. How did this affect Jesus' life? So wisdom is most commonly defined and and depicted in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written uh, largely by King Solomon, who, who, um, when he reigned, he asked God for wisdom above riches and all else, and God granted it to him. And there, wisdom is depicted for us in a series of sayings that capture what it looks like to live skillfully, to live reverently before God in this world that, that he has made. It's so practical, right? If you've ever read the book of, of Proverbs, it's just amazing. It talks about money and and parenting and work it's so good but it doesn't end with with the practical it, it 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 has this this call to true wisdom proverbs one right in the beginning describes true wisdom tr- describes wisdom as beginning with a fear of the Lord the foundation of all wisdom is a fear of the Lord. We've explained this more in other sermons, but just to sum that up, a fear of God is in essence to have reverence and submission before God in everything you do. It's to recognize I live before God all the time. He sees me, I'm before him. So we, wisdom is to fear God. This the scriptures say tell us is the foundation of wisdom, and if we get that wrong, you'll get everything else wrong. You could be the most knowledgeable, most experienced, you could be the most tried, even in good decision making, but if you don't have fear of God at the center of your life, then you're not truly wise. Luke tells us that Jesus got this right, however. How? God's favor was on him. We're told that God's favor was on Jesus. We don't know exactly what that means, but this this word, I think, in saying that God's favor rested on him, I I think it's, it's in line with other descriptions of Jesus where we hear that Jesus has the fullness of the Spirit. You see, he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was not born of Adam's seed. This means he didn't have a sin nature. There was nothing that separated him from God's presence. He, he was able to interact with God, and the Spirit of God was able to be with him in a unique way. Luke will especially focus on the Spirit's presence in Jesus' ministry. And, and I actually, in the midweek podcast, would, would like to talk about how Jesus did everything he did in the power of the Spirit. But I don't have time there. Now we're gonna press into the text a little further to see the story. And as we go into the story that was just read, we see that after the, after the uh, his parents were, were in Jerusalem, they, they left to go home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed home. Sorry, not stayed home, but you could stay home. He stayed in Jerusalem with with the at the temple. He stayed to be with his father. And his parents, they, they were gone for several days, the text reads. And, and you can imagine, <laughs> having noticed after three days, you know, you're maybe made some, quite some dif- distance, and you realize that Jesus is gone. Oh, we, we lost God! <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> they were frantic. They were absolutely frantic. Now, for the teenagers in this room, I'm not telling you to like secretly stay at church when your parents are going home. Like that's not what I'm trying to point you to. But I am trying to show you some lessons. I want, to, I want you to learn from Jesus' youth. And I want all of us to learn from Jesus' youth. There's some powerful lessons for us in this story. Jesus came as the forerunner of the new humanity. Let me explain what a forerunner is. A forerunner is like a trailblazer. It's like Lewis and Clark. Or I like this illustration much better. Have you ever heard of Bear Grylls and Man vs. Wild? Oh, come on. Raise a hand, anybody? Okay, all right, that helps me. Like uh, Bear Grylls is like this super... Uh, like outdoorsman he goes into the hardest places in the world and like tries to survive and make his way out and he eats bugs and all this kind of stuff. Bear Grylls, if I was going into the wilderness, if I was unfortunately dropped into a place where I needed to learn to survive for a little bit, I want him ahead of me. I want him showing me what I can eat and what not to eat. If he's not with us, every one of us is eating the wrong mushroom. (laughs) Like we're all going down. I need Bear Grylls as my forerunner or I'm going to die. Jesus is our forerunner. Like this. Jesus is the forerunner of the new humanity. Jesus was born to a sin-scarred world under the curse that we're all experiencing right now where death has entered in, where we, we need new hearts because When Adam and Eve sinned, we all were brought into this world of suffering and pain outside of the presence of God. But Jesus came to pave the way for a new people. He came to to pave the way for a people who would have new hearts. Hearts that would, again, reflect God's image the way that Adam was intended to reflect God's image. To not be... Marred in the same way. We we no longer reflect God perfectly when sin entered the world. We were made as image bearers of God, right? Yet when sin entered, that image was marred. Instead of reflecting the Creator, we begin to reflect Satan, the chief of the fallen angels. But in Jesus' life and through his death and his resurrection, Jesus came to restore our true humanity. He came to show us what it looks like to be human. what What it's supposed to be. Jesus said those simple words, come follow me. Come follow me. He is simply inviting us to follow him as he goes ahead of us. As he shows us what it means to live. Satan, meanwhile, right now, right now in this room, perhaps, is lying. He's telling us, if you want freedom, you get away from God. This is what it means to live. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. But Christ came to remake us and show us the true path of wisdom. Jesus is our second Adam, Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. Jesus is the forerunner of the new humanity who would live out of our true identity as God's children. So what was so different about Jesus? This is what we're gonna see with the story today. Today's text provides us with at least three lessons that I wanna point out, lessons of wisdom that every human should learn from. So lesson one, Jesus sought God's face in community. Look at verse 46 with me. It says and they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. Get this. The word of God. The word made flesh. The one who spoke the word, gave us the word, the scriptures that we have, he submitted himself to fallible men who taught the word of God. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Listen to Proverbs 2, which exhorts the young and foolish and how to grow in wisdom. It should be up there. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you... Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For wisdom, down at verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart, and the knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Jesus submitted himself to human teachers, Jesus lived this proverb perfectly. Throughout Scripture, God gave His Spirit to prophets, to priests, to kings, to explain and teach who God is. And and still today, God has given His Spirit to the church so that we can come to know our God, so that we can experience Him and have a wise heart. So here's the lesson. If you want to be truly human... Like Jesus is showing us here, submit yourself to godly and wise and mature leaders, those who treasure God's word and walk by his spirit. This is one of the things that Jesus shows us is a a part of being truly human. Lesson two, Jesus sought God's face not only in community but personally. He sought God personally. Verse 47 tells us this. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. This is a 12-year-old boy, and he's stumping the teachers. Those who have poured over the scriptures for decades, perhaps, and he's stumping them. How did he do this? You know, people marveled. At Jesus' authoritative words, he spoke with such authority that people said, where did, where did he get this teaching? Isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this the guy from Nazareth? We know him. Where did he get this? You see, Jesus had a, a relationship with his father, he had a personal and intimate relationship with his father. You can hear it in the way that he responds to his parents. He says, Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? This is not just a want. He didn't just want to be in his father's house. He needed to be in his father's house. He had close, intimate relationship with his father. And he's showing us, he's showing humans that we were made to be in relationship with God. We were made to be in relationship with with God like a father and a son. We're supposed to have this sort of relationship with him. He is not only the divine son of God, but as the truest image of God, as the truest image of man here, he is showing us what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Now, we might look at Jesus here and say, Did, didn't he have some sort of cheat code or something? Like, he, he's God, Right? Jesus as fully human. Commune with his father in the same way that you and I do. It's by the spirit of God. When he came to the earth. There's a lot. There's depths to the theology behind this. But I believe that the scriptures teach that Jesus. When he was walking on the earth. He communed with his father by the spirit. Just like we're called to do. He's showing us the way. So. Church, if you want to be fully human, if you want to look like Jesus, you need a relationship with your father, deep, intimate relationship with him like this. Lesson three, Jesus' identity as son of God trumped every other human identity. Verse 48 tells us that Jesus' parents were so distressed, they didn't understand what he was doing. I mean, this was their child, right? And he, he had stayed back we were so befuddled at, at what he was doing. And yet Jesus' response shows us a little something about the way that he views his identity as one of Joseph and Mary's children. He says in verse 49, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? These are actually the very first words recorded Of Jesus, these are the first things that we we know of him saying, and he shows us that to him it is more necessary to be with his father, to to be sitting at his father's feet and learning from his word, even than to be with his earthly parents. There was a, there was dual dual identities here, but one trumped the other. His relationship with God trumped every other identity. And I just want to say to you today, if you want to know what it means to be fully human, if you want to know what it looks like to be like Jesus, you must know that your identity as God's child must trump every single identity in this world, every other earthly identity. If you have faith in Christ... Paul says this, you are all sons of God through faith. Let's put it up there. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And hear me here. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You might read that and think, like, what is he saying? Like, I'm still female. <laughs> what, what Paul is not saying is that your gender goes away or that your ethnicity is erased. But what he's, he's pointing at is there's this identity, if you are in Christ, that completely trumps every other identity. Your most important thing about you is not your gender, it's not your sex. It's not your ethnicity. It's about your relationship with God. Your identity with as sons of God takes precedence over all others. This identity is an eternal one, whereas the rest are earthly. Some of you might ask again, but... It just seems that Jesus had a special relationship, right? He's he's the second member of the Trinity. He's he's the divine son of God. Like, didn't he have something unique that, Daniel, how can you say that we're supposed to commune with him this way? That we're supposed to talk of of ourselves in the same way that Jesus did? You're right. Jesus is the, the second member of the Trinity. Yes, he did have a unique relationship with God. He understood this even from his youth. But what we must not miss, and this is what I'm trying to get at in this entire sermon, is that Jesus was fully human. Not only was he fully human, he was, not only was he fully divine, he was fully human. The scriptures in the church have taught that these two natures are supernaturally united. He's fully God, he's fully man, he's the God-man. And this is why this matters. Jesus came in the flesh. He took on human flesh to fulfill the loving plan of salvation set forth before time. He came to fulfill the law as I spoke before. He came as a forerunner of the new humanity and the new creation to show us the way. To show us the way to the Father. Look at Colossians 1.15 with me. It's an amazing hymn. It teaches us this truth, speaking of Jesus, the God-man. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent, that he might be first. Paul tells us here that all this is true about Christ because God intends for Christ to be first. He intends for him to be the one that all humans after him come. He is the forerunner. So in this little snippet that we get from Jesus, this little phrase, we get a glimpse of his identity and what he holds as the most important thing. And and we get a glimpse of what we can assume the rest of his life looked like leading up to his ministry. But after these words, we're we're told in Luke that things kind of went back to normal. Look at verse 51. It says, Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I just love this not only do we get this picture where he says my relationship to God completely trumps this identity is that I have with you mom and dad but then he he obeys the scripture honoring God meant honoring his parents obeying his parents meant obeying God Luke's birth narrative ends with Jesus growing in this way, maturing in this way. He's growing and he's showing us what it looks like to be fully human, to be a man. I was helped by one commentator here who points out this that this word increased in the original language has lost its original sense in, in which it, it used to mean to to or be taken as to make one's way forward by chopping away obstacles. Again, you see Jesus as this this trailblazer for us. Hebrews 5 pulls back the curtain a little more on this reality. Let's look there together. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, Jesus was going forward as our forerunner. He was suffering the world's temptations that we feel. He was living in between the, new ki- the two kingdoms. He was experiencing what we experience for us. He was crying out. He was praying, God, rescue me now. Jesus fasted. He prayed. He experienced Satan's temptations. And he did it perfectly. It might be alarming to, to hear being made perfect. Like, when I first read that years ago, I was like, what? Jesus is being made perfect. Like, he's God. He's sinless. How can he be any more perfect? Well, we'd be mistaken if we take it as, as like, thinking that he's somehow diminished in his divinity or, or his sinlessness. No, that's, that's not what the author's getting at here. He's, he's talking about Christ maturing. He's talking about Christ becoming everything that, he, that we were meant to be, being perfected as a human. Again, these are, these are deep things. and we, I wish we could get into more of the theology here with you. But Jesus was coming to recreate the image of God. As a man, he was coming to show us what it looked like. Adam was intended to be perfected. Adam was intended daily to trust God over the enemy. He was intended to resist temptation and grow in maturity and in the likeness of God. But Jesus came as the second Adam and he did it for us perfectly. He fought for purity on our behalf. He fought for holiness on our behalf. He fought for your righteousness. He fought for your righteousness. He fought for you when you felt like you couldn't go on any longer. He fought for you when you were hungry this week and you were saying, God, I don't don't think I can do this. He fights for us when we're lonely and in pain. Jesus walked this path before us. Amen? Amen. We're not alone in this. We have a God who can sympathize with us in every regard. This brings me to my third and final point. The church is the new humanity. That's us. You may ask, Daniel, why are you going to such lengths? This is so complex. Why are you talking about Jesus as a forerunner? What I'm trying to set up for you, church, is this great reality that in Jesus' coming, in His coming in this way, in His coming and living a holy life from, being from an infant all the way to, the, to His death, He was paving the way for you and me to be mature and to grow like Him, to look like God, to walk in the power of the Spirit like He walked in the power of the Spirit. He's paving the way for us to grow. He's paved paved the way for me to get out of stagnation. He wants us to be set free from our sin. He wants us to be set free and empowered to mature and grow like him. Amen? Christ was made perfect, Hebrews says, so that he could save those who follow him. Creating a beautiful new creation and a new humanity are we not ruled by the flesh any longer, not the world, the devil, but by God's spirit as his children. This new humanity is the church. The New Testament expounds on Jesus' life and ministry in order to train us, to train the church in every sphere of life. I'm so thankful that, that this book gives us Wisdom for how to live. It shows us how to live before the Lord. It gives us Christ's law. He trains us in how to interact with government, our employment, and how to interact in the public life, in in marriage, in family, etc. He trains us to be wise and reverent in all of life. The scriptures teach us these things. But again, I come back to to the intro. We're, We're presented with this problem that some of us are not growing. Some of us are feel stuck. Maybe you are growing, but you feel stuck. Maybe your growth truly is stunted, like Theo was talking about earlier. I'll just remind you, church, this is not a new issue. Just after the, the passage that we read, the, the author of Hebrews goes on in verse 12 to say, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I admitted to you guys in the beginning that this this is still, I'm afraid that there are ways that I'm still immature in my faith. I'm afraid that many of us here could be condemned with similar words from Hebrews. We need milk rather than solid food because we lack maturity. Though we ought to be so much further along in our fight against sin, our spiritual discernment, and our handling of the word. Some of us, rather than letting our identity as a child of God inform all other earthly identities, have made so much of tertiary matters The world is doing that all around us. Our our sexuality, right? Our gender. That's a secondary issue to our relationship with God, to our identity with God. Rather than listening to godly teachers and voices, many of us have given our ear to the world's teachers. We've submitted to their philosophies on dating and sex and on money, on food, work, Some of us, rather than loving God's presence in prayer, meditating on His Word, and taking it to heart in memory, we are so distracted by the American dream, our own goals, our comfort, even games. We're not living in the identity that God has created for us as His children rather than seeing ourselves as blessed for being disillusioned by the world's success and persecuted for our kingdom values, many of us despise the meekness that we're called to, despise the humility that we're called to, and we run away from the persecution that's coming. And by looking to these things, other than to Christ, to establish our standard for Christian life, not only are we we saying Christ, my righteousness is better than yours. But we're setting a standard that is far too low. We're setting a standard that looks like the world, comparing ourselves to other fallen, broken people. Some of us assume that we will live in constant failure. We think, well, I, I just have to fall, fall to this sin. I'm never going get, to get over it. Let me ask you, Christian, to which world do you belong? Who defines who you are? Let me remind you who you are, church. God calls you His beloved children. Jesus taught us to call God our Father. He taught us to call Him His brother, our brother. The Spirit, our helper. This is the identity we're called to live in. You are adopted children of God in Christ, and this reality should shape every other reality. I just want to ask, what are some practical ways for us to grow like Jesus grew? I've already given a few lessons, and and I hope that these things are helpful to you. Number one, you grow by following him. It starts there. Guys, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're in this room and you're just not sure if you really have given your heart and life to Jesus, there is no life apart from him. Jesus is calling you to experience true life. The world is deceiving you if you're believing that you can find life in anything other than God. So I invite you. invite you to come and follow Jesus who died so that you might live, who raised so you might live forever with him. You can be a part of a family I say that because I love you and I want you a part of this family. Number two, if you are in Christ today, he has caused his spirit to dwell in you. Isn't that good news? Christ dwells in you by his spirit right now. You're not alone in this battle. He's interceding for us at the right hand of God. He dwells in us and the spirit of God even prays for us with groaning when we don't know what to pray for. He has caused the spirit to dwell in you. So, church, we must be led by the spirit of God. If you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, Galatians tells us. This is the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And Romans tells us that spirit lives in you. The same spirit who helped Jesus overcome sin, that spirit lives in you. Ross preached a great sermon a few weeks back. We don't have to sin anymore. The power of sin is broken. Take up the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit of God who lives in you today, church. This is what He's calling us to. This is what Jesus lived, and this is what we are called to live. Those who walk by the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Amen. All this means is we're we're turning our, our heart and our head to the things that God loves, to the things that He hates, and say... We're, we're, we're saying, God, I want you to align my heart with what your heart loves and hates. Lord, help me to fight the flesh. That is my old man. I don't, I don't belong to that identity anymore. You've given me a new heart. I belong to Christ. Then we're not going to be ruled by our flesh. We're not going to be ruled by our hunger. We're not going to be ruled by anything but Christ. We, we ask for Him, His Spirit. lead us finally we need each other we need to be reminded of this identity on a daily basis that's why we set up church the way we do our our dna accountability groups are are meant for the care of your soul because we as pastors can't do it all we need eyes and and listening ears on every single one of you we have missional communities so that we gather together and we, we look like Jesus together. We can see it together. We, we gather here, admonish, proclaiming Christ, admonishing you with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Just like Paul said he does for the Colossians. Our desire is that you would be presented to Christ in the last day in maturity. So here's, here's what we do as a church. We gather so that you may grow and mature in him and look more like him. We're taking the month of January, as has been said multiple times today, to fast and to focus on spiritual renewal. And guys, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this week to be asking during this time, where have I not embraced and lived out my identity as God's son? Where am I not looking like Jesus? Jesus came in the flesh and he lived perfectly so that you and I could also mature. And that is good, good news for us today. That we have a forerunner who has gone before us. He's shown us the path and he's calling us to follow him. Those simple words, come follow me. Come follow me in the life that I've lived for you. Amen. Let's pray and I'll invite Sam up.